America is braced for Joe Biden's inauguration. A vaccine arrives in Brazil, but the president is nowhere to be seen. And clever, charming, funny, former journalist, what to look out for or not in a great leader. Monocle's editors tackle those topics today on the late edition here on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to the late edition here on Monocle 24. I'm Tom Edwards, joined in studio by Monocle's editor-in-chief, Andrew Tug. Hello. And remotely from São Paulo, Monocle 24's always elusive, Fernando Augusto Pacheco. Good evening to you, Fernando. Good evening or, or good afternoon here uh, in São Paulo. Very sunny São Paulo today, actually. It's not too sunny here in any sense, <laughs> literally or metaphorically. But Faye, you will be hopefully rejoining us uh, here in, in this wintry England at some point in the not too distant future, I understand. I mean, if the airlines cooperate, so maybe you'll <laughs> see me at the end of the week. Or maybe not. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uncertainty, very much uh, the watchword. Um, Andrew, how are you adjusting before we dive into today's discussion uh, topics? It's not been a great start to 21, has it? And I know we were catching up on this programme at the end of last week. Nevertheless, we're still looking on the bright side. There is one to be found. There are a few silver linings in amongst the clouds, aren't there? I kind of think at the moment you just have to leave people to get on with it and everyone has to find their own way through what's going on. I think people are doing it with, mostly within the bounds of the rules. But, you know, everybody has a different take on this. You, you can't go around kind of hammering everyone for every kind of tiny indiscretion. And what's great is, you know, that I think people are getting on with it. And we've, we've seen, luckily, the numbers of infections come down pretty rapidly here in the UK, still at stratospheric levels, but they, they have come down. And I don't know, maybe I'm naive with, but with the rate of vaccination and I think the, the sense that spring isn't, you know, only a couple of months away, hopefully, that there is there is some end coming into sight for this 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 worst part of it anyway. So I don't know. I, I most most times, you know, ninety percent of the time, I feel pretty optimistic. If you listen to too much news, not <laughs> on Monocle Twenty Four on other channels, I must say it can get you down. But otherwise, pretty good. Well, and, and in a way, that could sum up, uh, I guess, the mood in Washington D.C. Sort of cautiously looking forwards. Preparations uh, in the U.S. Capitol underway for the inauguration of Joe Biden this coming Wednesday. It'll be two weeks to the day since hordes of the supporters of the incumbent, Donald Trump, descended on the Capitol. Uh, as news emerges that their occupation of the seat of American lawmaking could somehow have been even worse, security is being stepped up in the city and elsewhere around the country. A bit earlier today, before we hear from our panel about next steps, uh, we heard from Suzanne Lynch, Washington correspondent at the Irish Times. Suzanne told us more about the potential security threats and this huge operation underway in the US Capitol. Here's Suzanne. One of the worrying developments overnight was that the FBI suggested that it's actually screening the troops themselves for possible insider threats ahead of the inauguration. So that's a concern. We've obviously have up to 25,000 National Guard troops who've been arriving in the capital. And some of these are kind of, you know, part-time military people, if you like. That's their job. They're from different states across the country. And one of the themes we're seeing from the investigations happening into the January 6th attack is that at least some ex-members of law enforcement and possibly some current off-duty members of law enforcement did take part in the Capitol uh, riot. So there was a lot of concern last night when this story broke that they're saying, you know, they're, they're concerned about an inside job, essentially. Now, they have also said there's no evidence of this yet. And the plan is, you know, to go ahead with the inauguration. I'm going myself, I was told at the weekend, but I have to go now to the Pentagon and get a COVID test. 
and it's going to be secret service background test and the security is just extremely extremely tight but that is a, a kind of a worry that has emerged in the last 12 hours or so Suzanne Lynch talking about, uh, well, this jitters in DC. And we saw that even that earlier today, didn't we, Andrew? There was a sort of, looked like probably a sort of bin fire, but immediately everyone was jumping perhaps to the wrong wrong conclusions. Certainly a bit of a nadir, uh, the events earlier this month, Andrew, no doubt about that. And everyone obviously looking politically, the healing that needs to be to be done. Joe Biden still, for me, feels sort of like the person to, to, to do it. But given the depths of the schism, the kind of... Um, the uncertainty, uh, the suspicion, that's what Suzanne was talking about there, that many people share in, in American civic society. Even Joe Biden has his work uh, cut out for him, doesn't he? Well, I think some of these situations, the danger is that you just flip which 50% of the country feels enraged and angered. So the things that you know people in the centre the see is kind of good practice, you know, an, an attempt to, for example, on, on environmental issues, start moving back to a position where they would accept the, you know, the Paris Accord. You forget for many people that's incendiary. That, that's like, mm-hmm. that's, that's handing over America's economy and the, the control of it to the demands of other nations. It's, it's, it's saying we will go along with what other countries like China want where, and we'll suffer because they won't play this game. So yeah, I, I think it's, it is quite likely that it's just going to be the other 50% of the country that's incredibly bitter about this. And you see already you know, the, the media and the commentators setting up Biden for a fall. You know, what's he going to do about immigration? If, if, is the border going to be tested immediately? Will he take down the wall with Mexico? And then suddenly you, you, you will see these issues really flare up. So I don't think it's going to be easy. But I think just taking some of, as, as he said in his campaign, just taking some of the heat out of it, not always being on Twitter, not always being angry, that you do have a chance to potentially bring around a little bit more civil discord and force institutions to have a civil discord. And even if people are just not shouting at each other for a bit, that will be a benefit. Well, well, Fernando, I was going to ask you that question, actually, which is that some people who are uh, relentlessly attempting to look on on the upside to be optimistic are suggesting that, you know, in some ways you can almost um, delegitimize some of the more extreme beliefs that Trump helped to actually drive in his years in office simply by dragging things back to the, the centre. Do you think that there is a way, an opportunity for Biden quite quickly to move, sort of as Andrew says there, to detoxify um, the discourse and to, and to sort of get the debate at least back towards the, the middle ground? Absolutely. And, and one thing I completely agree with Andrew that, you know, I think Joe Biden just needs to be very careful to not only talk about those more or less 50% of Americans that voted for him. I think it's time for him to kind of unify and try to grab some of those you know, Republicans are people that don't necessarily agree with him. And, and I think perhaps he could be the person to do that. I mean, even among the Democrats, I think he's considered a more centrist uh, figure. We, we have to wait and see, but I, I definitely agree that he can change some of the laws, become a, li- a little bit less kind of reactionary like uh, like Trump. And, and you know what, Tom, I think, you know, if something is put into law, I do believe that people kind of, most people, they tend to respect the law in a way, even if the country is against the law. I mean, just look at, you know, one topic that comes to mind, even gay marriage, I mean, has been approved in countries that were traditionally against, but people kind of get used to it, to normality, and that can 
have a good use or, or can have a bad use as well, depending on, on which kind of president uh, you are. So, you know, I, I would like to be a bit optimistic about the beginning of Joe Biden's presidency as well. Well, that's good that you're both attempting to, to strike an optimistic note. I just wonder, though, Andrew, you know, the division and strife uh, is so profound. And what's interesting about the US uh, example is that I guess if you look within, say, the GOP itself, you know, aside from the debate between, say, right and left, just the GOP, it's it's riven by infighting and it's internecine conflict and it's the Trumpists versus the, the more moderates on that wing, which is all set much further to the right uh, than, say, you know, our political spectrum in this country in any case. What does the GOP do? Because it's, they obviously can't sort of galvanise or talk about moving forwards under Biden because he's sort of the enemy in speech marks. So do you need to see, I don't know, progressive unifying voices from the GOP? That seems a pretty far off uh, notion, doesn't it? Well, the interesting thing for outsiders you know, is you, you don't have the kind of political system you have in the UK where you, you, you have to have somebody who's the leader of the opposition. So when, when, when Trump leaves power, there are just the Republicans and they, they will present a, a very different front to the world. And there are already some who are saying that they would like to work across the floor and, and find ways of, of coming together on key topics. So there, there is... A little bit of hope around that. I think the, the the complicated thing is when you see at the weekend that the opinion polls still say that for Republicans, some 70% plus believe that Trump is doing a very good job right up to the last day. So for incumbent you know, senators and governors and all elected officials who are on the Republican side, it's very difficult to suddenly say, that's, that's the end of that. We don't like that period because many of your voters... And this includes a lot of people who traditionally were not part of the political system, who've come forward in the last four years. They're not going to let those elected officials so easily walk away from the legacy of Trump. They they see in Trump somebody who came true on his promise of not wanting US troops fighting foreign wars. They see somebody who was pretty good, to be fair to him, on standing up to China in in many ways, not, not always a successful outcome, and they they see in him somebody who spoke against what, what, what in the, the media would call you know the woke uh, tendency. So they're they're not they're not going to go along with a, a Republican Party who I don't know if you compare it like Tony Blair's Labour Party, which which stepped away from the traditional uh, connections of the party and and tried to present itself in the moderate centre ground. They're not going to like that. And so it's going to be very difficult for them to completely turn against their past. They, they are still going to be contained by Trumpian tendencies for, for a long, long time. Uh, fascinating stuff. And we'll be talking a lot more about that. This show on Wednesday evening uh, here in the UK, we'll have the very latest, of course, on Inauguration Day, for all the latest from DC. Uh, let's move along, though, now to Fernando, where you are, to Brazil. A coronavirus vaccine's being rolled out. The country's president, Jair Bolsonaro, has consistently downplayed the severity of the pandemic in the face of over 200,000 deaths in the country and counting has had little to do with it. It's fallen to the governor of Sao Paulo and presidential hopeful in the country's 2022 election, uh, João Doria, to oversee the partnership with Chinese vaccine company Sinovac. Um, Faye, you're in Sao Paulo right now. It seems pretty extraordinary that Bolsonaro kind of hasn't had anything to do with it. You know, countries around the world, the the the, the sort of the, the leader is front and centre when it comes to policy, addressing the public and all the rest of it. But Bolsonaro, I guess, understandably, given his position before, uh, very much in the backseat here. 
very much in the backseat. And, and it is extraordinary because, you know, the first person being vaccinated here in Brazil was a 54-year-old nurse uh, called Monica. Uh, the event happened yesterday and the governor of Sao Paulo, João Doria, was there. It was a very emotional moment. And, and the picture is in every single front page in the papers. Bolsonaro nowhere to be seen. So what happened is João Doria has been trying to get this vaccine of Sinovac, which is a partnership between Sinovac and the Institute Butantan. So he even has kind of a calendar uh, here of, you know, when people should be vaccinated. He was very organized, which is some, something that didn't happen uh, in, in the federal side of things here in Brazil. I mean, for example, uh, it's kind of breaking news, but our health minister, uh, vaccines across the country, was, they were going to start on Wednesday. But now, due to pressure of governors, they might start later on today, actually. Uh, so, and, and Bolsonaro gave an interview as well. He, he was looking actually quite sad uh, that the, per, the first person was vaccinated. I wonder, uh, he, it's because he missed that moment. And, and that would be terrible for his uh, chances in 2022, uh, because João is definitely looking more kind of a de facto leader uh, than Bolsonaro. And I think even uh, people that are more on the conservative side of things uh, would agree with that as well. Uh, and we have seen uh, clashes, haven't we, uh, Andrew, between, you know, uh, federalized systems or, you know, from the regions, voices often very directly counter to that coming from central government or from heads of state. Um, does that just show that actually decentralized governance or devolution is a good thing? Or does it merely demonstrate how complicated it is for even countries within their own borders to address something as challenging as a pandemic in a unified way. Well, it's interesting here in the UK, you know, we're not functioning as as one state during this pandemic. You know, if you're the leadership in Scotland or in Wales or in Northern Ireland, you're allowed to go your own way with the measures that are needed to control the pandemic. And what's interesting there is you know, that not only do you say, look, we've looked at the facts and we think for, for for our citizens, it would be a more sensible route to go this way. Every leader gets into this game of trying to score points. So it becomes competitive, combative. It's it's meant to say something about the nature of the leadership. You know, if Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland moves fast, it's because she's a woman. You know, women are always more decisive in these moments. You know, men flail around. If the figures then suddenly shoot up in Scotland, it's not her fault. It's the fault of you know central government. Everyone's always trying to pin the blame on each other. When we know that there have been mistakes made without a doubt, there is a question about whether in England manoeuvres could have been early. But this is a pandemic and it's it, it moves in very complicated and difficult ways so there's there's always going to be difficulty and error but the danger is with all of these these systems when it's it's federalized is is you just have this 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 built-in risk that everybody is going to try and score a point or two and that's what happens in the US it's what happens in Brazil perhaps a little less so in Germany but even there, but anywhere where you have regional governments, they're, they're all going to want to kind of prove that their party, their their handle on this crisis is better than that of central government. Well, we're going to talk about Germany in just a second. But Fernando, whilst you're in Sao Paulo, it'd be remiss of me not to ask you just about Bolsonaro in the bigger picture. You alluded to this actually in your last remarks, but how is Bolsonaro faring? You know, if we look to what the polls say, we talk about this big vote, of course, which is now what a year and change away. Um, Does he still have this robust support or if he is truly the Trump of the tropics, is his political career heading the same way as Donald's? 
Well, I, I believe so. And, and it's interesting, Tom, because last year, I think even here on the late edition, I was talking to you about how his popularity actually managed to increase at the beginning of the pandemic, because there were, you know, handouts from the government to people, you know, that were suffering uh, during the pandemic economically, there's been a loss of jobs. This handout's not happening uh, anymore. I think we're at the last month of it, and, and it's even a smaller amount than at the beginning. So, you know, his popularity increased because of the people, especially the poorest, you know, which were getting this handout and, you know, which I completely understand then, you know, it's a lot of money for them here in Brazil. We still have quite a, a severe problem, uh, you know, with poverty, but without this handout, the, the symbolic response uh, to COVID-19, and especially now that the governor of Sao Paulo managed to get the, per the first person vaccinated, I think this would be very bad news for Bolsonaro. There's even discussion in Congress that he might be impeached. I don't think this will go through, but there's a lot of discussion at the moment. And even here in Sao Paulo, people were with their pants outside, they were banging and they were screaming, uh, you know, go away, Bolsonaro, you know. Um, so it's a very bad uh, beginning of the year for the president. Okay, well, let's cross to uh, Germany, which Andrew just mentioned. The Christian Democratic Union there has said goodbye to Mutti and announced a new leader, Armin Laschet. By happy coincidence, Monocle 24 regular Quentin Peel is a former Berlin correspondent and bureau chief. And earlier today, Monocle's Andrew Muller asked Quentin whether he'd ever met the new head of the CDU. I met him for the first time, I think, when he was sort of Minister for European Affairs in North Rhine-Westphalia. And I hadn't come across him before. I was charmed by him. He's very easy to talk to, very friendly and open, and uh, funnily enough, a former journalist. So we hit it off quite well. And uh, Have they learnt nothing from the example of the United Kingdom of what happens <laughs> when you put journalists in charge of things? <laughs> well, one does wonder. But I think this one is actually, on the whole, an honest journalist. I met him again attending the Munich Security Conference, which is this extraordinary event that happens every year in Munich, bringing all the world's great and good from the defence establishment together. And uh, we sank a few beers and a couple of schnapps into the evening. And again, I found him very open and easy to get on with. The excellent Quentin Peel there, uh, talking to Monocle's Andrew Muller earlier. What a great anecdote. And that's like proper old school foreign correspondent work, isn't it? Sinking schnapps at the Munich Security Conference. But it is interesting. Quentin obviously paints Armin Lashing rather a favourable light there, but a very personable former journo, likes a drink or two, very good at charming. I don't know, who does that make us think to? Andrew, Andrew Muller alluded to it. Surely that way madness lies, doesn't it? Well, the, the trouble with it is is it's not very exportable often. So we are here in the UK, obviously, with Boris Johnson, a man who I think people found quite amusing when he was a journalist and certainly as a, a leader of uh, London, was oddly quite a convivial character, even people on the left ended up voting for him. Well, they must have done. Otherwise, he would have never got in in this, in this reasonably Labour city. But when it comes to being in power, sometimes it doesn't quite translate in the same way. And that, that being personable can come across as being a, a, a little bit foolish at times or a little bit too amusing when a bit of earnestness is needed. 
And certainly at the times we find ourselves, it's, it's, it's questionable whether you want somebody who's personable, maybe, or whether you want somebody who's just a, a brutally efficient CEO. And I think that's what Quentin was alluding to there, that in the end, what was interesting about Angela Merkel was, you know, while she had this, this I'm not sure, always correct title of Mutti, this, this notion that she was like a bit mothering and a bit the, the head of the nation as a female figure, what she also was was steely you know she was mm. she was she knew what needed to be done and she was persuasive and intractable when it was needed to be intractable and was able to kind of see the moments when you did bend to someone else's need but in a, in a modest modest way and you still came out the other side you know you'd promoted brand germany you'd pr- promoted the eu so i think that's that's the risk is you know that she's such a character and she's got such kind of legacy now at doing this role it is it, not a job that you would want to step into lightly and of course having that extraordinary political longevity fernando where you are we were talking a little bit already just now about bolsonaro do even the the latin types we imagine all you guys strutting around and your budgie smugglers on the beach all day but you you don't just want fiery characters and party goers and people who are characters do you don't don't even the brazilians pine for just you know a bit of a suit a safe pair of hands a technocrat who as andrew said is just good at getting the hard job done Listen, Ton, as much as the ideal thing perhaps might be a technocrat, but it's very hard in a country like Brazil for a technocrat to be elected. Even President Lula, from a completely different political persuasion as Jair Bolsonaro, he was very much a man of the people. You know, he likes to touch everyone. So perhaps I think we can compromise. You can be a little bit more serious, uh, but you do need the charisma. In In a large country like Brazil, if you're not charismatic, if you don't have little bit of a populist touch. It, it is very, very hard uh, to win an election. And if I may add, I mean, talking about Angela Merkel, I think on a leader, it's important as well to show a sense of empathy. And, you know, although she does look steely and very important, on the, in the right moments, she can relate uh, to Germans, you know, being with COVID-19 or, or in the middle of an economic crisis. I think this is extremely important on a leader. And Andrew, I guess, you know, journalists should be good at uh, at least suggesting that they understand empathy, being relatable. I don't know, during your career, did you work with people and you thought, ah, this person has clearly got all it takes to be a great political leader? I mean, my... I haven't worked with, like, until coming to Monaco, not many journalistic luminaries. But I must say, I have, it's not always immediately jumped out at me that politics would necessarily be in a career move for many of my colleagues, erstwhile or current. But does your, does your experience differ? Well, well, well I was at, as the Independent many, many years ago, in an earlier part of my career, one of the uh, business reporters, ed- editors, did go off and become a, a Labour MP under Tony Blair. And there were certainly people whose, uh, whose I don't know, the, the divide between politics and journalism, especially if you're working in the newspapers, is, is sometimes quite narrow. You that they get to know each other so well, there is a temptation to think that you could both do each other's jobs <laughs> rather better than than the other. But I think that on the whole, there's there's still a, a whole generation of journalists even now who 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 want to stand back a little bit and be able to kind of question it and and peer and, and make sure that things are being pulled apart and, and and not falling into the trap of being a part of a party machine as well. So and that's the, the good thing about British journalism in the end, although some of it is obviously driven by party politics, much of it is, is still about holding up just power to be questioned and made sure it's held to account. 
uh, indeed. And that is all we have time for on today's programme. A big thank you to Andrew Tark here in London and to Fernando Augusto Pacheco from Sao Paulo. Thanks also to our studio manager, Steph Chungu, and to Sam MP, and to our producer, Augustin Machilari. I'm Tom Edwards here at Midori House in London. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for listening. Thank you.